I used to always try to figure out like, what is the root issue? There has to be some root issue. And if I figure that out, then I can just cure it, you know? And yep. I just, it's just not that simple. Welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the unfiltered mental health podcast where imperfect people have imperfect conversations. I'm Christina, your host. And first of all, it's Monday that I'm recording this intro, which is super weird for me. I usually record them on Sundays and then I release the episode Monday morning. But uh, today's episode is a little bit late because I passed out last night super hard (laughs) without meaning to. And I guess my body needed more sleep than I've been giving it. Not that that's a hot take or anything. But yeah, it's Monday morning. It is actually my last Monday morning in Seattle, which is super weird to think about because I I felt like time was just like stretching on earlier. And now that it's here, I don't know how it got here so fast. And I, I feel like there's still so much I have to do this week. I still need to sell a lot of furniture and stuff. I need to donate a bunch of stuff. Uh, my sister Bonnie is flying in on Friday and she will help me with some of that. Uh, and then Saturday we're going to pick up my rental car and then Sunday is when we actually drive out. It's really, really exciting. I'm so ready to be out of here if I'm being honest. Uh, I've mentioned it many times before on the podcast, but Seattle hasn't been very kind to me. I mean, Okay, I'm trying to reframe that. I Seattle has been good for me in lots of ways. Uh, in terms of growth, I've definitely done a lot of growing here. Probably more than I wanted to do. Uh, I've met so many amazing people that I know I'll stay in touch with forever. And, I mean, it was just... I, I was talking to some friends of mine who moved here at the same time I did, in November of 18, around that time. And... We were talking about how, even though we hadn't been in Seattle for very long, just like three years, we've all experienced so many historical events here. Uh, For instance, there was a huge snowstorm when we first moved here, uh, record-breaking. And then, of course, there was COVID. And then earlier this summer, we broke the record for a heat wave in Seattle. It was 108 degrees, which is crazy because um, I think some I think the last time those temperatures were recorded was like a long ass time ago. <laughs> I don't exactly know when, but the point is, these kind of experiences really bring people together, and I think they could kind of accelerate connection, not just with the people that you experience these things with but also with the place I feel like even though I haven't lived here very long I will always have a connection to Seattle just because of the crazy shit that I went through I mean it's pretty wild so um and I know it's been hard and I've came close to giving up a few times but I'm so happy that I pulled through because I I really do feel like a better person having, like, 
<laughs> my cat's in the bathroom and he's like scratching on something. I have to put him in there now whenever I'm recording or else he will go crazy. So yeah, a lot of crazy thoughts floating around in my mind today. A lot of crazy feelings. I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. I interview my friend Becca, who is a very powerful writer. She has an Instagram account called uh, Reds 2AM Thoughts, where she writes 2AM Thoughts. But they're very profound. They cover a wide range of topics such as trauma, abuse, addiction, maladaptive daydreaming, uh, medication, misdiagnoses, like all this stuff. (laughs) Oh, my cat. I I wonder if you guys can hear him through the mic. Um, So I interviewed her actually kind of right after she made a really crazy discovery. Um, We recorded once like last week and then the audio wasn't usable. So we recorded again and so much had changed in between recordings with her. And so I'm really excited for you all to hear what she has to say. And like I said last week, this is going to be the last episode for a while. I am taking a short break from the podcast while I move. Uh, The last time I did the cross-country move, I published episodes on the road and it was kind of stressful. (laughs) So that's not going to happen this time. However, I am still interviewing people. Uh, I have a lot of great episodes planned for when the podcast comes back. Probably September. I'm shooting for the first week of September to come back because I can't stay away for that long. I love you guys. So... Like I said, just processing everything that's happened and that will happen and is happening, honestly. Uh, My mental health has been worse, but it's also been better. I feel like the standard for for good is very low for me. (laughs) Like, if I wake up and I take all my meds and I eat a good breakfast and I clean... And I go, come to work like on time, like that's a good morning for me. Like that, I'm doing great. But you know, I'm still struggling. I, I don't want to talk about the bulimia too much because the whole last episode was kind of unofficially dedicated toward that. Uh, but it's something I am struggling with every day, and I'm excited to be closer to family in Virginia so I can have more support and more accountability because that's honestly what I need right now. Uh, Yesterday, actually, I got to see one of my good friends from treatment and it was just such a joy. We were really close when we were in residential together. We would watch This Is Us on her laptop in the hallway and it was my first time watching This Is Us and so when I got out before she did, I I just came home and like immediately watched all of the seasons together. Yeah, she, I'm very, very proud of her. She's worked insanely hard to get where she is. And yeah, I just have met so many great people through treatment or through interviewing them for this podcast. Like I've said it before and I'll say it again, like fucked up people are truly the nicest people. Uh, Not just the nicest, but like the, the most inspiring, the strongest, the most talented, it's, it's kind of shocking how talented people with mental illnesses are, and it's also sad that their mental illness takes away a lot of ambition uh, and energy and time. Like, sometimes I wonder 
what I would be doing right now if I didn't have these debilitating mental illnesses. Like, I don't know. It's pointless to think what if, but I still do it. Um, I am going to go ahead and jump right into the interview because I have a lot to do this morning and you all are probably tired of hearing my voice ramble. As always, if you want to say hi, you can just send me a DM on Instagram or email me at picklesandvodkapodcast.gmail.com. If you have any interest in being on the show uh, in September, because I will be rounding up some new guests and there's a lot of topics I want to cover. I'll post more about that later, but I love you all and I hope you're having a great week. Also, Oh, I almost said it's going to be August when this comes out, but it's not. <laughs> I swear, I don't know what day it is. Um, yeah, whatever month it is, <laughs> I hope you all enjoy. I hate how they say recording in progress in that really scary voice now. Yeah. They didn't used <laughs> to do that. And now I just feel like I'm traumatizing my guests. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. I'm used to it. I'm not oh. saying all the time. So. Used to speaking in public or used to being traumatized? <laughs> Just um, oh, just being on Zoom and people like pressing record by accident or whatever. So. Oh, that's the boring answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm used to being traumatized too. But <laughs> people come here for humor, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Speaking of humor, uh, I put my kitten in the bathroom. And so he wouldn't be able to fuck everything up. And I'm starting to mm-hmm. regret it because I'm hearing a lot of noise in there. And I realized like. Um, so I'm moving next week, so a lot of my oh, stuff cool. is just in the bathroom. Like, all my yeah. art is in there, all my toiletries are in there. Uh, oh, no. So he's just, like, I'll probably walk in after this and find, like, Q-tips all over the floor. It's fine. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, you have a dog, right? Yeah, I do. Her name is Layla. She's so she beautiful. Is... Thank you. Yeah, she's, I think, like, a year and four months so oh my goodness she's still a puppy <laughs> got that puppy energy yeah Th- this picture your this profile picture of you she's just staring into the camera like oh yeah she always just stares into your soul and yeah she's got these icy <laughs> icy blue eyes yeah and she knows how to use them too <laughs> <laughs> so well hello um welcome back to pickles and vodka for the second time um <laughs> Yeah, we had some technical difficulties last time, but luckily you're chill about it. And yeah, yeah so um, now the second time around, you know all the secrets, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was kind of glad that you asked because I'm like, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, like my views are like kind of changing constantly. I feel like I'm kind of going through like a growth spurt like mentally right now. So it's like I was just like, you know, this will probably be good. <laughs> so well that's um, awesome. I'll definitely ask you about that. Um but first can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Um okay I am my name is Becca. Um I have an IG account which we'll probably be talking about. It's called Reds 2 AM Thoughts. Um, I'm about to turn 25 on Sunday. So oh my that's God. cool, I guess. Literally, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I can remember from the last time we recorded is that we both had July birthdays. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, um, early birthday. Thank you. Um, but yeah, you have been 
well, you've been struggling with mental health pretty much forever. But yeah, how long <laughs> how long have you been talking about it? Um, good question. Like I feel like it's just been an on and off kind of thing. Like I feel like this is kind of like the first time in my life, like the past maybe like five or six months where I've really been like pretty like more raw about my mental health. I think it's like really easy to kind of pick and choose what you want to share, obviously, which is okay. But it's like, I feel like I'm kind of at a point where I'm just like, I don't really give a fuck what anyone thinks. This is what's going on. (laughs) Yes, that's a beautiful place to get to. Yeah. Uh, So tell me about your Instagram then, uh, Reds2AM Thoughts. Like how long have you been publishing there? And like, what what do you use it for? Um, Well, like, I think it's been about like two or three months. I'm not totally sure. Um, But I basically just wanted to create an account because it's like a a separate account because my main account, it's like I have like 400 followers. I don't know who most of them are. And... I just want a place to kind of share like deep thoughts or, you know, my experiences with mental health. And I just wanted a separate account where, you know, people who are actually interested in that can follow it. And I don't just want to like dump it on a bunch of random people. (laughs) So um, that's kind of where it all started. And I think it's been cool because it's like, you know, I've been pretty open and vulnerable in a lot of posts. And then, you know, people will like, dm me and say like hey like that made me feel a lot better because i'm going through the same shit and i kind of thought i was alone and you know i think that was like a big part of why i wanted to create it was because i just feel like you know i don't have a lot to give right now aside from you know my own experiences and i feel like that can benefit other people in some way or another oh my god totally yeah i mean personally i love reading your thoughts on there and you just have such a powerful voice and like a raw honesty. So have you always been a writer? Pretty much. Like I've always liked, I feel like it's the one thing I've always felt kind of good at, or at least other people are like, you know, you're a good writer. And so I, you know, feel a little bit more confident in that. But um, yeah, I've always loved journaling. um, And I think, you know, I really, I kind of struggle with creative and creative writing, but I've always, you know, given it a shot. Like I've taken a few creative writing classes and stuff like that. But yeah, I think generally the answer, the short answer is, yeah, I've always been a writer. So. (laughs) And what, what, what was your family like growing up in terms of mental health? Like, did they talk about it at all? Or like, were you always kind of writing about these personal things? Um, not really until recently. Like, um, I think I just didn't really know how to process any of it for a long time. And so now I'm just more confident in my own perspective about it. Whereas before it's kind of like, I, I think I was still in this mindset where I felt like I kind of, I couldn't talk about my family. I needed to, you know, hide it for their own dignity or whatever. And now I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, share, you know, my story. Um, and a big part of it is, you know, my family growing up. And um, I think I'm kind of coming to terms with how, you know, that that has impacted me mental health wise and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about that today, actually. So it's cool that you asked. 
Yeah. But, um, um, what what have you been thinking about specifically, or like what would you like to talk about today? I don't know. Like, there's a lot, I guess. I mean, we'll just kind of see how it flows. But I know that's like, the most think, broad question ever. Yeah. Like, I think I've been, you know, because I I wrote this post recently. My most recent post was about how I've been dealing with a misdiagnosis, and um, for like the past five years, where, um. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder type two, and I just never really felt like I identified with it. But I think, you know, during the past five years, I've also struggled a lot with, you know, substance abuse and alcoholism and stuff like that. So I just mentally wasn't really in the place to even kind of consider that. I don't know, like that I might be dealing with a misdiagnosis. Like, I think yeah. I just kind of like, and that's kind of where, like, I'm going to sound all over the place, but, um, Hey, that's okay. You know, I think like maybe in my head, I kind of felt like, you know, Hey, like I'm, I'm taking a pill for my mood issues. So I, I'm kind of in charge of my mental health. Like I, I'm kind of doing well, like it kind of created this like illusion that, you know, um, I was taking care of myself or some shit like that. I don't know, but, yeah. um, that's where like I I kind of have thought you know about growing up kind of how with my mom like my dad didn't really struggle with mental health as much I mean he he was an alcoholic but I think he didn't really have you know like a a mood disorder or anything like that he he was pretty normal but with my mom like she um she always struggled with like depression and like kind of rage and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. from an early age, she took antidepressants and she kind of would, she kind of gave off this, like sent this message to me as a, as a kid that um, her depression was like kind of completely out of her control. It was a chemical imbalance and, you know, she had to, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess like, I just kind of had it in my head for a long time that like depression was just this chemical imbalance that's, or like really any issue that you're dealing with is like, you know, totally outside of your control Mm -hmm. and you just have to take like, you know, medication for it and that's going to make everything better or whatever. And like my mom growing up didn't really she wasn't willing to go to therapy or, you know, seek outside help. And, um, you know, I think I, I, that kind of, um, I don't know. Like, I think I just, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. No, you're good. It sounds like you're growing up without much, you don't know what's going on because you're a kid. And it sounds like the authority figures in your life didn't really, they either didn't know what was going on or they gave you wrong information uh maybe a little bit of both uh, i'm not trying to blame anyone it's just yeah not everyone knows what's going on but that's really hard when you're a kid and you're like i need a role model i need to know what's going on with my mental state mm-hmm. and you see you know your parents struggling and then you get this wrong diagnosis and um i'm i, I can imagine how frustrating and lost that would make you feel Yeah. And like, you know, my mom also, you know, even though she took these antidepressants and kind of said, you know, 
this is how I'm taking charge of my mental health or whatever. Like she also, you know, abused a lot of other things. She, um, you know, she was a chronic pothead. She eventually became an alcoholic like later in life. And she like became a really hardcore alcoholic and she abused a bunch of pills growing up. So it's just like, I think I kind of got this message as well that if I wasn't feeling very good, if I was feeling sad or angry, or even if I was feeling happy that I could always, you know, change how I felt with a substance. Yeah. Like I, I just never really learned how to sit with my emotions and deal with them. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say, and I'm not totally like blaming my parents. Like I truly believe that, you know, even had I grown up in like a great home environment, like I don't really, I wouldn't be surprised if I still ended up being, you know, struggling with addiction. Um, I think it's just kind of how I'm wired. (laughs) I kind um, of struggle with like, I I keep going back and forth between like the nature versus nurture argument. Like mm -hmm. I totally believe that people have genetic um, factors that have to do with whether they are an addict or not. Uh, But obviously that's not all there is to it. And it is, it is hard to think, you know, I mean, I, I try not to think of what if, because then you can just go down a deep, dark rabbit hole of what if I I was raised this way? What if this hadn't mm-hmm. happened? What if this had happened? It's like, it's so pointless. Yeah, it, it is. Or like, I mean, even, you know, I used to think that too, or like, I don't know, I used to try to overcomplicate a lot of things and try to figure out, you know, I don't know, like even say with my eating disorder, I used to always try to figure out like, what is the root issue? There has to be some root issue. And if I figure that out, then I can just cure it, you know? And yep. I just, it's just not that simple. And, but also it's like, I would overcomplicate things too, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really care if it's nature or nurture or not. Like, I don't exactly. know, like, I really just don't know. Like I, all I know is that, you know, my life played out the way that it has, you know, and um, yeah. Would you consider yourself to be a black and white thinker? Uh, not really. I, okay. I honestly don't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I am and I don't even realize it. Like I, <laughs> I've always kind of considered myself more of a gray thinker. Like I, I tend to like hate people, not hate people, but I don't really like when people have really polarized views um Mm. which pretty much everyone does but you know like this day and age but um like I just I like to kind of be in the middle of things like I I don't know like I just that's healthy I think yeah um and I think a lot more people are like that than I you know I've realized like a lot more people are actually like that they just don't really speak up as much from my own experience. Did you feel like you couldn't speak up a lot growing up? Not really. Um, you feel like you had a voice or you people asked your opinion oh, and stuff? Or? Oh, no. I meant like, I don't, I didn't really feel like I could. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I just, I, I didn't really feel heard growing up. I mm-hmm. think, you know, especially just because my parents were dealing with their own shit, you know, I just didn't. Um, feel comfortable I mean it seems like whenever I did open up they were kind of they kind of pulled the whole like oh well you know I had it worse growing up and you know this is supposed to make you feel better about your life and feel more grateful but um 
I want to talk about your mental growth spurt, but first, um, I kind of want to back it up a little and talk about your eating disorder and when it started. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, sure. I feel like my eating disorder started kind of when I was more of a kid. Like I think probably around the time I hit puberty, which was around like eight or nine years old. And, um, I basically struggled with like binge eating disorder and I didn't realize it at the time. I don't know if maybe that's the right way to put it, but I just, cause I really had no concept of calories or like, I just didn't really care, but I definitely used food to kind of fill in a hole, you know, like just yeah. to kind of, to feel better. It's, it's really hard for me to not keep talking because I can relate to so much of what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, you know, my mom had chemical dependency issues too. And uh, I, I noticed now that I did turn to binge eating for, for comfort. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my current struggles do stem from that. But yeah, it, I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. And um, so like I ended up being just really, I was always kind of like the most overweight kid in the class you know for a long time and um when I was around I think it was maybe 14 or 15 I had a suicide attempt and I think it just really traumatized me um I never told anyone about it I was never hospitalized for it um Damn. what happened well I overdosed on aspirin and I got really really sick for like about a week and I just never I didn't go to school for about three days, three or four days. Um, my mom was pissed at me because I, I missed school a lot. So I had truancy issues. And um, so I don't know, like, I just, I was really quiet about it um, for like over a decade. What was happening mentally at the time to make you consider that as an option? Um, I think like, I just had a really bad home life and a really bad life at school. And I just, did not feel like I could ever really succeed, I guess. Like, I'm not totally sure what my thought process was at the time, but I just felt really hopeless. And um, so, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I just felt like it, it wouldn't really make a difference whether I was there or not. Mm -hmm. And so after the whole suicide attempt, you know, I went on this self-improvement kick. Like, I, I remember... I stepped on the scale, like, you know, maybe six months later and I had lost pounds and I was like, oh, like I, I barely tried. Like if I can lose pounds without like trying, like how much can I lose if I actually try, you know? Yeah. And so, and at the time I was like, like, I think I was probably like obese, not that like it really matters, but yeah. So over the course of like a year and a half or so, I ended up losing a lot of weight and I just mm -hmm. could not stop it. Um, it almost kind of felt like an addiction in a way where I just yeah. became my way of dealing with shit. So eventually I was like severely underweight within like a year and a half or so. And um, I remember, you know, coming back one summer, I think it was my junior year and, you know, all of the teachers and a lot of the students were kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is she, something's very wrong. Yeah. Like what happened? <laughs> well, they tried to like 
apparently like I later found out from my school counselor that like I think around like eight people had gone to her within the first two weeks of school starting and was like she needs help something's wrong and so um she tried to contact my parents and talk to them about it and they didn't really they were kind of in denial and um a few of my teachers tried to contact my parents and you know they were just saying she's fine she eats a lot of vegetables you know she eats it's all okay you know and um I just kept losing more weight and um my parents really just had no idea what to do Um, how did that feel to have friends of yours or maybe I don't know if they were friends or not but how did it feel to have other people talk about you behind your back um I think it was a little bit perplexing in a way just because like I I mean did you see yourself as having an eating disorder it took me a while to come to terms with it um like I I was definitely in denial about it too for a long time I mean, I can see why it would have been hard to just tell me to like, come to me, you know, and tell me to my face, like, hey, I'm really, I mean, I don't know if it would have been hard to just say, I'm concerned about you. I don't know why everyone had to run to the school counselor, but um, yeah, it's complicated. It is. So I don't really hold any like resentment towards anyone for it. I just, I think I, I did have this weird moment one day after school where I was sitting on my bed and where I think I was sitting on the floor and I was like doing my little exercises that I did. And then I got up and I looked in the mirror and it's like, I noticed that like my face was getting really gaunt Mm -hmm. and like, I had just never seen it like that before. It, It was always, I always kind of had, was described as having like a chubby face and chubby cheeks and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, suddenly my face was just, it looked like it was like, caving in and um I started to kind of feel like a little bit scared and I you know I hadn't gotten my period in over a year and I remember going into my sister's bedroom and I told her you know hey like I I'm afraid to not lose weight and she was like what do you mean and I was just like I like I just don't know how to stop. And she, um, she was trying to be reassuring. I think she wasn't really sure how to handle it. She was just kind of like, you know, it's okay to eat food. Like, you know, it's, it's good for you to eat like proteins and fats and, you know, like, you know, you need it. You're like growing and stuff. And I think, you know, it was just all happening so fast that people just, no one knew how to deal with it. And I live in Kentucky where like there really Mm. aren't any like eating disorder clinics or anything around Mm. here, at least not at the time. And I don't, I still don't think there are, but um, I don't feel like it's maybe as common here. Or at least people don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That too. You know, it's not like kind of in California where you can, there's like a bunch of them and stuff like that. Yeah, that is our like modern day perception. Of, but it, it is interesting. Like, eating disorders have always existed and in, in all sorts of societies. But mm-hmm. every society kind of likes to think they invented it. Or <laughs> at least yeah. that's the impression I get. Like everyone with an eating uh, like, okay, in my experience, I don't want to generalize. I I feel like 
oh, I'm the first one to feel this way. I'm the first one to go through this. No one else can understand. I mean, I felt like that as a teen and I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that feeling. Yeah. But the fact is no one talks about it. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, we always assume, you know, well, if they're not underweight, then there must not be an issue. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's always kind of like. Oh, that really grinds my gears. So like, it is crazy. I mean, how many people I've met that have an eating disorder, just people like I've known my whole life and, you know, they'll come out and, you know, say, hey, I've been struggling with this, you know, with binging and purging or, you know, I've been fasting for a week or you know like or and not just in terms of like a short-term thing but it's something they've been struggling with for years you know yeah. with their weight and their body image and it's it is like really common and like I think especially with men it's even harder because it's like it's, it's just people don't really assume that it's something that men struggle with too especially with yeah. like say anorexia or binging and purging um mm-hmm. Yeah, I have two good guy friends that I met uh, in treatment this year, actually, and there's more of them than you think there are, but they are definitely silenced when it comes to talking about that sort of thing, body image and weight and all the other things that can contribute to an eating disorder. I saw like some statistic just the other day. I don't want to like talk too much about like weight. I I know Mm -hmm. weight isn't really an indicator of whether you have an eating disorder or not, but I saw a statistic like 3% of people who have eating disorders are underweight. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, I don't know how um, trustworthy that source was, but I think I, I'm reading this book by a dietitian who grew up um, in an abusive home and she had a fucked up relationship with food and Mm -hmm. I'm not super far into it yet. So, but yeah, you just never know is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like I've struggled with it for, I mean, my anorexia kind of started when I was, you know, around like 15 or 16, but Mm -hmm. it's like the past decade I've struggled with it. And for a good chunk of that, you know, I haven't been underweight. I've been, you know, like a healthy weight. So, but I still struggled with it just as much. I mean, right now I'm at a healthy weight and I still struggle with it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. (laughs) And it's, and like we're smart people we are educated we are vastly familiar with the world of eating disorders and i feel like at least for me i still have to tell myself i'm valid if i'm not underweight it's mm-hmm. it's just so difficult like that's how brainwashed we are by by society yeah and i mean the the really fucked up part is that i mean it it's really never enough. Um, oh, no, I mean, never. even if you even if you are on your way, you, you don't see yourself that way. Exactly. <laughs> so it's you just can't win. You can't um, win. It's like you were saying, you know, you don't know how to stop losing weight. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely addictive in nature. Whatever reason you do it for. I mean, there's it, it's really hard to talk about eating disorders on here because so because I have an eating disorder a lot of my guests also have eating Mm -hmm. disorders just because of the circles I move in online and what I've found is that almost no two stories are alike like everyone shares similarities yeah but the more people I talk to the more I realize wow like everyone is so different like the reasons are different the methods are different the treatment's different like it's just so hard to generalize when it comes to something like eating disorders. Yeah, it really is. 
I don't remember what I, what, what point I was building to, but <laughs> with that. Very good. I feel like, I mean, just for me, I've, I've never had a healthy relationship with food. I have no idea what that means. Um, and, you know, I just feel like a lot of people don't. Um, yeah. I mean, so. That's so true. It's like when you get, when you get out of treatment for an eating disorder and then you're, you're hanging out with your normie friends and they're all talking about dieting. It's like, oh my God, is this just mm-hmm. going to permeate my life forever? Am I just going to yeah. have to be okay with this? And you, in a way, like that's unfortunately how it has to be. Like you have yeah. to learn how to be okay with it, which not saying I've learned that yet, but. Um, well, not okay with it, but you need to, you navigate it in a way that. Yeah um doesn't make you miserable or I don't know I mean so you with your writing you talk about it you found a healthy outlet for that tell me about your diagnosis five years ago and how that all started it's kind of like it's almost hard to completely remember like I remember I went to this I like went to several psychiatrists and I ended up going to this clinic it's kind of like almost like a walk-in and there's just a bunch of psychiatrists who work there and I was trying to I don't even remember what I was trying to get help for I guess maybe I was struggling with depression um I'm not sure like I feel like a lot of my depression growing up was just circumstantial for me Mm -hmm. um but there's really no way to know for sure but someone diagnosed you (laughs) yeah so I they were trying to you know put me on these different antidepressants you know like I was put on like four or five and they were all just making it worse. And so finally they asked me, have you ever experienced like mania or like hypomania? And they were, you know, asking me if I had like this symptom or that symptom. And I was Mm kind of like, yeah, like, I guess like I'm, I can be very impulsive, you know, I can get very irritable, you know, I just little things. And it's like, you know, I just kind of got, slammed with this diagnosis really fast and so they put me on a mood stabilizer and I just kind of figured you know it didn't make me worse so I figured you know I guess it's working but it's like at the same time around the time that I took the mood stabilizer I went through a lot of trauma so like I I just had no way of knowing whether it was truly working or not so I just kind of went along with it. And I went, I ended up seeing my current psychiatrist that I see now, and I've been seeing him for like about four or five years. And, you know, I told him, yeah, like I'm on this mood stabilizer, I'm bipolar. And he's like, okay, like I, I will continue to prescribe you that. And um, he kind of asked me a few questions and, you know, I was just kind of convinced for a while, like, yeah, you know, this is what I was diagnosed with. This is what I have. You trusted the professional. Yeah. And so, you know, he trusted me with that. And I just kind of went on for the past five years, just taking this mood stabilizer. And then about two years ago, I was put on an antipsychotic because my like OCD tendencies were getting really, really bad um, to where it was just, it was really interfering with my life. Like, I just felt like I was kind of going crazy. Do you want to talk about that a little? I don't th- I don't know if we talked about it a ton last time. I don't think we did. I know it's something you went through because just from reading your posts. Mm-hmm. How long has that been going on? Well, I've always had like OCD tendencies growing up where, you know, 
like hoarding is actually like a form of OCD. Like I would hoard really weird stuff, you know? And, um, you know, I also just, I don't know, there were just a lot of different things, but it was never bad enough to where I felt like I needed like medication for it. And then when I started like binge drinking a lot and my drinking got really, really bad when I was around like 21 to 23 or whatever, it reached a point this one semester where it's just, it got so crazy. Like the, the binge drinking was making my anxiety worse. Yeah. So that was making my OCD worse or the, ten, like, I don't know if I have, you know, I don't know, the tendencies were getting worse to where it's like, I had to, I was paranoid. I felt like I needed to touch everything a certain amount of times. I felt like I had to get up like a certain amount of times to before I could eat my food and Mm -hmm. had to warm it up a certain amount of times. And I would, you know, be waiting to take the bus to go to class because I take like a public, I took public transportation. And then I think, oh shit, like I need to go check the door again, you know? So I miss class to go check the door and just stuff like that. Sounds like all your mental illnesses working in tandem to fuck up your life. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And so um, I went to him and like he knew that I don't respond well to SSRIs. And I was already on a benzo at the time. I was on Clonopin and he's like, well, I can put you on this this antipsychotic. It's called Braillar. It doesn't have, you know, it's a weight neutral drug because he knew that I struggled with an eating disorder. So he didn't, he knew I wouldn't take anything that would cause weight gain like I just wouldn't take it and so um he kind of put me on that as like a last resort I guess from hindsight I realized that you know I really didn't need to be on the antipsychotic like I it was mainly just my drinking which was making it so bad was because I was just totally fucking up my brain chemistry you know Mm -hmm. and um so like more recently I don't know, like I, I talked to him a lot, you know, about just my concerns and my doubts and current things that I've been dealing with and struggling with. And um, we kind of went over, you know, my family history, you know, my mental health growing up and he ended up diagnosing me with ADHD. And so um, he, you know, we're kind of in the, we're kind of in the process of tapering off the mood stabilizer and then since I was on a really low dose of the antipsychotic, I just stopped taking that and which started on Monday. So it was about five days ago that I stopped taking the antipsychotic. Wow, that's so recent. Yeah, so it's been just a weird week. <laughs> How do you but feel with your new diagnosis of ADHD? I feel like it it just makes so much more sense. Like I, I feel like I can actually identify with it, you know, like I I hear other people's stories, like, especially because it's a lot of times it looks really different in women than it does in men. Like, what do you I mean? like, I think a lot of women, cause there are kind of like two subtypes of ADHD. You have like the hyperactive subtype, which is kind of the stereotype that a lot of people think of yeah. um, with ADHD. And then there's the inattentive subtype and like a lot of women have the inattentive subtype. So, you know, they tend to be kind of I don't know, described as like, you know, daydreamers or... Okay, it's 
It's funny you say that because that's actually one thing I wanted to talk to you about. I was like doing my homework again before this and I, I read your post about maladaptive daydreaming yeah. and I'm very interested in that. I actually was supposed to do an episode like way uh, two years ago about it, but the guest like backed out or something. But yeah, um, for people who don't know what that is, could you just explain it in a nutshell? I'm not totally sure how I'll try. I think like maladaptive daydreaming is like, it's not like an official thing that you can be diagnosed with, but it is like recognized in the community, like, you know, psychiatric community. And um, it's almost just like really kind of severe chronic daydreaming, basically, where it really does kind of interfere with your life too. Like, I mean, there's everyone daydreams to some extent, or at right. least maybe not everyone, but like, I, I mean... Most people. Yeah, I think most people. <laughs> there's always an exception. I guess it looks different for people. Yeah. You know, I feel like there are people who really kind of like almost dissociate into their daydreams, you know. Just like lose connection with reality. Yeah, like where they're creating like a whole different life in their head, you know, half the mm -hmm. time. Or like for me, it kind of looked like, you know, as a kid, I daydreamed a lot. Yeah. So it's like I would create this whole different life for myself where I was imagining that I had friends and I looked this way and um, my parents were like this and you know or it's like if I was listening to music or you know if I watched a movie it just kind of like fueled my daydreaming and it oh gave God, me new yes. ideas and so like it would just it was just to the point where you know like people would notice and they'd you know wave their hand in front of my face like hey are you there or you know my teachers would during a parent-teacher conference, like, I had several teachers say, you know, like, she's not, like, a bad student. She's just always daydreaming, you know, mm -hmm. during class. Like, we can't get her to focus. I think, well, okay, I have a confession. Um, I used to be super, super, super into Lord of the Rings when I was, like, young. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I would, like, daydream about it all day long. I would make up characters. I would pretend I was, like, an elf or whatever and run yeah. around in the woods and all this stuff. And there was a point where it started interfering with my real life, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, I would rather be in that fantasy world than, you know, hanging out with the friend down the street or whatever. Or Yeah. Um, and I can, like, I feel like that's not the weirdest thing for kids. But I think there's definitely a point where you can take it a little too far and use it as an escape. Would you say that's the case for you? Yeah, you know, it's like hard. It's one of those things where I don't feel like it's been really studied a lot. But like, yeah, like there's a, a subreddit for it. It's called maladaptive daydreaming. And like a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, people kind of talk about like, that's kind of how they dealt with their trauma was they kind of lost themselves in these daydreams, basically, yeah. in this alternate reality. Do you um, feel like because people would discourage that? Do you feel like that pushed you toward other coping mechanisms? I'm not sure. Um, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud because like, I know at least in my case, like people, when you've always got your head in a fantasy world, like people kind of, they either made fun of me or they would like, be like, why can't you just snap out of it? And mm -hmm. you learn as a child that that is not very condoned other people like adults don't want you to live in a fantasy world and so yeah. you learn to suppress that side of yourself and in many cases I can imagine that would turn to things like eating disorders and substance abuse and that sort of thing I'm just again thinking out loud here 
Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I mean, it's definitely like something that for me, it was discouraged, you know, like people wanted me to be present, you know, and I wasn't, you know, I was, I'd rather be in my head kind of in my own alternate reality. And so it's like, when I, when I didn't have that to cope, I, and it it does make sense when I think about it, because it's like, Mm -hmm. especially when I talked about, you know, my binge eating earlier after I kind of like hit puberty, not, not really saying that puberty was the reason, but it's like, that's kind of where, you know, doesn't help. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't help. But like, I I do remember that's where like, because it's like a lot of the concerns, you know, from my teachers were between, you know, first grade to fourth grade. And then I kind of started binge eating. So my Mm -hmm. mom was like, Becca, like, you got to get it together. Your grades are, you know, really shitty, like, you need to focus in class. And um, I'm not really saying like, I mean, it's just interesting that you brought oh, yeah. that up, you know. I'm just like, um, I think it is interesting, like, because at the beginning when we were talking, I was asking you wh- where it stemmed from and whatever. And it seems kind of random until you start digging into these prior events and uh, fa- other factors that went on before you developed eating disorder. And so when, mm-hmm. when you think about it, it's like, okay, it's not that surprising that I would do this. It actually makes a whole lot of sense on a psychological level. Yeah. I'm um, just trading one coping mechanism for another. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like I'm um, okay. So you got, you found out about your misdiagnosis mm-hmm. and that was five days ago. I know that was like two weeks ago. Still Um, two weeks ago. That's really fresh. Yeah, it is really fresh. It's been like really, I don't know, just a lot of different emotions about it. Like at first, I think I was really, I was just relieved because I was like, yeah, this, this fits me a lot more, you know, like this Mm -hmm. makes so much more sense. I'm going to get on the right medication. Like I'm going to get the right treatment. You know, I'm getting off of these meds like that I never needed. And then I just started kind of, I think, getting really hard on myself, kind of Mm -hmm. like, you know, how did you not address this sooner or figure this out sooner? Like, why did you wait so long when, you know, that diagnosis never felt right to you? Well, um, there's a couple things I wanted to ask about before we say goodbye. mm -hmm. And it's just so you talked about doubt earlier Mm -hmm. um, and how you've been kind of doubting. And I wanted to ask about that but also in, at the beginning of this you said you know y- you were always changing or um mm-hmm. you know you're going through a change and I think it's important to know to accept that we will always be changing like there's always going to be things we don't know about ourselves and that's the whole point of life is just to keep finding out those things about ourselves until we die you know mm-hmm. so I guess my question to you would be like, what did that doubt look like at first? And what would you, would you do it differently if you could? Like, what do you mean? Like what kind of doubt? Like um, for me, when uh, I grew up super, super Christian and I always had a lot of doubt, but I would, uh, it would come up as like stomach aches or like mm-hmm. headaches. And I would just push it down because I didn't want to doubt. Uh, it was just like an icky feeling. And I was wondering if for you, because you, you said you had a feeling there was something off, like the, the meds mm-hmm. weren't working like they were supposed to. Did you ever voice those concerns with authority figures? 
like mm-hmm. outright say like hey that there's something wrong here no I didn't I think I just was so kind of I was dealing with so much like madness at the time kind of with trying to self-medicate um that I just couldn't even really I didn't have the mental capacity to even really focus on that like I just there was there was so many other things that I really needed to tackle first I think oh, of course and also you trusted them yeah and you, or at least them. you want to trust them yeah I'm not blaming you at all, by the way. I don't want it to come across as, like, victim blaming. I just... No, you're good. But, yeah, I did have just a weird... I started to get a really weird gut feeling, especially, you know, reading through my old posts where I was talking about, you know, the medication I was on or my diagnosis. And I was just like, you know, it's it's really weird being... It's like once I really got public about it, I was just mm-hmm. kind of like, hmm, you know? like, And there were just a lot of different kind of things I feel like that kind of factored into like the doubts you know and um I don't know it just it's intense it is it it was really it was just really strange um and I like had no idea what to really feel I was really nervous you know talking to my psychiatrist about that and I thought that he wouldn't believe me or he'd say you know oh well that's something like a bipolar patient would say is that they don't have it, you know, like that's, but he was just very open-minded about it. And, you know, he, he's a good psychiatrist, basically. He sounds like a great person. Yeah, he is like someone you can trust because he trusts you. Yeah. Um, Which I'm surprised that he does because I feel like I've lied to him a lot, especially about like my substance abuse and stuff like that. Like I didn't really, open up to him about that until like this past year and that's when I became really honest about that and he was um I think he struggled with it himself so he Mm -hmm. was really understanding and he wasn't like well I'm not going to treat you anymore you know or something but um yeah I love him he um he's not really the type who just forces meds down my throat like or he doesn't I don't know he just tries to work with me that's how you hope they all will be. <laughs> no. Yeah. Because I hear a lot of horror stories where people are like, you know, I wanted to get off this medication and my psychiatrist like literally won't let me. They won't tell me how to taper off of it. You know, like stuff like yeah. that where people are kind of being like coerced into like taking medication that they don't want to be on. It's so terrifying because so, when, yeah. when you're a young person getting into the this whole world, you're really at their mercy. Not just mm-hmm. the doctors, but you know, the authority figures in your life. Like you don't really have agency or you don't have knowledge. And not only do you not have knowledge, but and a lot of times you're just not capable. You're, you're so in the thick of it. You just yeah. can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at your post right now, your most recent one. And at the, at the end, you said you're anxious, somewhat excited and grieving. Do you want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? I just feel like um, it's not really something I've felt like until recently, kind of like the sense of grief, just about, especially now that I'm turning 25, I just feel like, honestly, like my twenties really were shitty. They sucked. Mm -hmm. I never want to relive them. (laughs) Um, You know, like some people talk about it being the best time of your life. And for me, fuck that. that. Yeah. And um, so I think, you know, being on, you know, these medic, especially 
being on the antipsychotic in particular, like knowing that, you know, I was on this drug that I never needed to be on, you know, it bothers me because like antipsychotics really aren't that good for you, especially if you don't, you know, absolutely need them. Um, like, I feel like, you know, maybe it kind of muted me emotionally. You know, there's, I just, I just feel like over the past, you know, year or two that I've taken it, I just don't really have normal emotional reactions to things. And I always blamed that on, you know, the substance abuse and stuff like that. Like maybe that has depleted my brain chemistry and I'm just all sorts of fucked up. I don't know. Um, I mean, nothing stems from just one source either. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like something I'm coming to accept too, is that I'm just never going to know. But um, I do think, you know, a lot of people who take, or have taken antipsychotics talk about how it kind of makes them feel like a zombie in a way. And, you know, um, I don't know if I totally felt like a zombie, but sometimes I just wonder if I would have experienced like more highs and lows had I not been on it, you know? Um, Like I remember learning, you know, a few months ago, my great grandma had a heart attack and she's alive, thank God. But when I, heard that when my mom called me and told me that I just had no reaction at all I was just kind of like oh I would normally have like this jolt in my heart kind of like oh my god but it's it just didn't really affect me at all whatsoever and um there were like a lot of other things kind of like that where it's just like I didn't really seem to be bothered by anything did you feel guilty for that deep down yeah, like I kind of felt like am I a sociopath or something? Like that makes me so on? sad that you think it's something wrong with you when it's this thing being introduced into your body, and also that yeah. what you know who's to say what's right or wrong? It's just it's so complicated. Everything is so mm-hmm. complicated. It is hot take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like so, I think you know I'm excited to you know be getting the right treatment I'm anxious because I don't know how long it's really going to take for me to start to feel normal again whatever that means and I'm also just kind of grieving the fact that you know there's just a lot of shit that I I don't know like especially just with my substance abuse too like Mm. I just missed out on so much I guess and you know I I know at the same time it's like the past is the past but Mm. you know I think I used to just say that way too much to where I just didn't let myself really Grief. feel any of my feelings. Yeah. Like, yeah. and now I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. Like, it's not like I'm like wallowing in the past. I just need to feel what I feel about it. And exactly. So. And you can learn from it. I, I always say like the only thing you should ever regret is not learning from your mistakes. Like everything else that happened, like, I don't think... Like it happened. There's nothing you can do about it, but just like do yourself a favor and try to not repeat the same mistake. I mean, I say that yeah. having repeated my mistakes millions of times. <laughs> no, uh-huh. like it's it's true though. Like you you have to take what you can gather from those experiences and you know try to use it to refine who you are today. Yeah, and and it's kind of beautiful that you found that out like we're still young you know like we Mm -hmm. we it's been kind of fucked up but you know you're about to turn 25 and you're moving forward with this new information and it's like a a new beginning and that's kind of kind of beautiful yeah does it make you feel like nervous um 
Not really. Um, like I don't, I'm just one of those people where I don't really, I mean, maybe I'll feel differently when I start to look old, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, um, I, I don't mind getting older. I think it's, you know, I'm just kind of grateful that I am getting older because, you know, a lot of people don't get to turn 25. So that's yeah. kind of the way that I see it. I just turned 29 last year of my 20s. I'm so fucking done. I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm so ready to go into my 30s. Like, yeah. uh, honestly, it's like when people talk fondly about high school, it's like, shut up. I know. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Cannot relate. <laughs> That's just me being bitter, though. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you wanted to say before we end this? I guess if there's one thing I can say, it's just that, you know, even if you're like not currently in recovery or you don't feel like you're totally dealing with your shit, like it's okay to just be open about your experience. Like that alone can help somebody um, yeah. at least, you know? So like, it's okay to speak up. Like it, you know, it, in a way you're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for other people. So yeah. um, that's kind of my little message. <laughs> I agree. 100%. So. Oh, I just realized that I say 100% a lot. And that's um, one way that I express black and white thinking. I'm trying not to say it so much. It just comes <laughs> out like nothing is 100%, but I agree 100%. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like that with the word. I'm always like, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'll like listen to myself and I'm like, gosh, I've said that like five times. I'm How like, sure is it, Becca? How sure is yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for doing this uh, again. I really, really, yeah. really appreciate it and enjoy talking with you. And, oh, tell the listeners where they can find you on the gram. Okay, you can find me on, it's Red's 2 a.m. Thoughts, R-E-D-S 2 a.m. Thoughts. So, yeah. Cool, I'll put a link <laughs> in the show notes. Okay. Everyone should go follow you now and have some of those thoughts yeah just read me whenever you're like up late at night you can't sleep you know just go on that account and read all my bullshit so hell yeah <laughs> well have a great night maybe you'll go to sleep early maybe you'll have some 2 a.m thoughts but whatever happens maybe. uh i hope you are able to be gentle with yourself and find something to be excited about oh thank you i think i will i have hope so. hell yeah <laughs> All right. Awesome. Good night. Thanks. Good night. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.